So for the past few weeks, we have been talking about tensions here. We all exist in a world where there are different factors that may seem to clash with one another or compete for our attention. And in order to live in a way that holds meaning and offers wellness, we need to navigate how to hold these tensions well. So this week we are exploring the tension of reality and the ideal, what is true now and what we want to be true. I'm a big metaphor person, so it's been helpful for me to visualize what these different tensions might look or feel like. So I've been thinking of some tensions as a pendulum swing or a tug of war, but this week I have been thinking of this tension of reality and ideal as a rope that we hold onto while climbing. In order to climb well, to have movement, to not live in a way that's just hanging on, there needs to be tension on the rope and the rope needs to be anchored. There needs it, um, something for it to be tethered to. So as we are climbing and navigating our present realities, what keeps us tethered is anchoring ourselves in the hope of the ideal. And I'm reminded this morning because of circumstances throughout the world that sometimes the energy to climb isn't there. It doesn't feel like there is enough hope to anchor into. And this is real and it's more than okay. Our experiences, our day-to-day -day realities are constantly shifting and changing. So leaning into tensions will look different in different seasons. And there is a unique call here too for us to hold the hope that others cannot hold. So Kyle, good morning. Um, I would love to hear how all of this is resonating for you. And if you have any personal experiences that help with understanding this tension of ideal and reality. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, the most kind of ever present experience for me uh, in terms of challenges in general and specifically about this is parenting in the midst of this last year, having a, a son in particular going into his first year of elementary school and then having to spend that entire year in a, a remote experience and not actually getting that chance. Um, and so there's all these things that um, I balance between what my ideals are for myself as a father, for us as a family, and then the reality of uh, how feasible those things are in the midst of the challenges we are experiencing in the last year. Um, and the, the, the reason why I think that your analogy and your picture of that rope feels so helpful to me is because uh, at times, I think the threat of this ideal, and for me, like the ideal would be like, obviously my kid's on pace, he's at grade level doing all the things he should do, he's socializing, I'm a father who is supporting his growth academically and uh, helping him learn outside of school, I'm encouraging and supporting my kids, I'm present and planning lots of projects and activities that engage their mind, I'm not giving them too much screen time, um, we're doing things as a family that teach them about the world in a, a less structured way than school. It's all these pictures to me of what my ideal picture, yeah, I, 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 I'm, it is a stressful list at time to think about these ideals. Um, and then there's a pendulum swing. I actually remember having a conversation a long time ago with somebody about how, as a father, I was trying to have more grace on myself. And that there was a sense of like, where do you uh, find the line of having grace on yourself? And then actually like 
um, excusing behavior that is letting your kids down. Um, and so, and, that, and that's the tension for me is if I, if I let go of this idea, like this year is super hard, there's, I just gotta have understanding the realities are there's a ton of obstacles. And so I'm going to totally let go of, uh, kind of what I hope for, for my family. There's, I think a sense of cynicism that like none of those things are possible. Um, and so to me, when I think about that tether, I still have that tether up there of like, I, that is what I want to be true. I do think that that what is what my children deserve in terms of their family. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge the realities of what is happening around me. And perhaps uh, the reason I like the big mountain is because there's, <laughs> there's a reality that maybe I never get to the top of the mountain in my life. There's a reality that that is an unachievable ideal. Actually, what I just laid out to you, I'm just going to say is an unachievable ideal. However, it is enough of a tether for me to think through the priorities I have of what matters to me and not let myself just be overwhelmed and, and giving up that there, there's no chance that that's going to happen. And I think you have to let the, the real of my life, the real challenges of a pandemic, um, uh, acknowledge that those things are going to prevent me from just running up this mountain. And I think so to me, when I think a lot about how do I hold that tension, um, I don't think I always do it well. I don't think I always do it perfectly. Um, but I do think that there is an importance that I am not just saying, uh, I have no idea what I want out of my family. I have no idea what I want in my life, or I'm just going to be reacting um, to the challenges around me. There is something I'm working towards, but acknowledging the realities of life mean I may not achieve it. I think this message of letting the ideal shape our priorities is a really comforting one. Um, it doesn't feel like added pressure to me, whereas I think other times it's easy for comparison to slip in, um, that you live in that space of constantly feel like you're not doing enough or not living up to the ideal. Um, so there's not even a desire of like, well, why work towards that if I'm just going to fail? Um, and Lamott has this really great quote about not comparing your insides to everyone else's outsides. Um, and I love that. I think it's a really great reminder because there is constantly going to be this ideal picture. Um, and often we project that onto a specific person and it's great to have role models, people that we want to be more like, but it can also feel like, wow, I will never, never get to this level, um, the ideal parent, the ideal partner, the ideal friend. Um, so that feels like a lot of added pressure to me. Uh, my ideal picture of parenting right now would be getting sleep and my reality is not getting sleep. <laughs> but I do think that this idea of letting things shape our priorities is actually really empowering that there are things that we can do and work towards that maybe it's not achieving the fullness of what the ideal is, but it provides some direction for us. Yeah, I think um, to me, this this feels like, I mean, I think it's important in our personal life and like how we parent, how we do life, that we're not just uh, kind of floating along with no picture of what we truly want for ourselves. But I think that the urgency of this feels even larger to me when I think about uh, some, some bigger picture things like, uh, I, I, my ideal is a society where um, natural disasters 
don't lead to long-term homelessness for people, that natural disasters are being able to be met with immediate relief and supports. Like that, the ideal of my world is that, my ideal are school systems that work equally for all students, regardless of their race or income. Um, my ideals in these big picture systems, I think really matter because the real tells us uh, that those things are not true. And actually the, the real tells us that the problems are so big that we don't even like, how do we even fix this thing? And so we have to acknowledge that in the real, that these things, uh, and I think when people live too much in the real, they look at what is true as a given. Like we're not gonna push, if there isn't an ideal that we're working towards, we're just gonna push through this. Uh, like uh, you're thinking specifically about um, uh, the equity in our school systems, um, uh, Robin D'Angelo says, like, when you look at our school systems and you see the disparity of outcomes along the lines of race, there is only two solutions. There's only two answers. And one of them is there is some inferiority around race, why people are underperforming. The other one is systemic racism. And so one of those is just, this is what it is. And this is, this is what we're seeing in society. And this is actually just a sign of what is true. The other one is saying something is broken right now and that we need to recognize what's broken and we hold an ideal in our future. And we need to fight towards that ideal because we want to see that change. But we need to realize that at this moment, especially when you think about these entrenched systems, the restraints of a system that has been built up from the ground based off of ideology, leadership, voice, and perspective of white supremacy you're not going to be able to, in this moment, step into the ideal. You actually have to navigate a broken system that is real. Um, but if you don't hold that tension, if you just let it go and say, well, this is, this is what it is. Why do we fight against it? I think we fall short to be the people we want to be. But if we only see the ideal and say, well, we just need to make this right, I think you lie about the challenges that you're actually going to face. And so I think when we talk about justice, I think the ideal of what we're working towards and then the real of where we're at is how we figure out where to go in the next step. And I think that's actually for most of these things, it's figuring out what the next step is, is our ability to hold those tensions. Definitely. Um... A few things coming to mind for me right now. I think that this is really the gift of community um, that I may only be able to have perspective on what is the next thing for a very particular area of my life. I might only have an ideal picture of some um, of breaking down and working against some injustice in the world and may not have the view that others have. Um, we can't be called to absolutely everything because we're human and we are an individual. Um, and so I think sometimes this tension can be really overwhelming because we don't always have the ability to look beyond ourselves. It can feel like you are taking on absolutely everything. Some of that cynicism um, seeps in there, but the gift of being able to be in community and to recognize a world that is beyond ourselves and a God that is beyond ourselves um, is that we get to hold glimpses of what the ideal may look like, um, that we can move in that direction and we can um, be able to help guide others into a picture that we're able to see from a different angle. I think that when you talk about seeing things even from a different angle, you know, there, I think there's a temptation here to say that the ideal is 
uh, are absolutely is the good thing, and then the real are the bad things that get in the way. I, I think that there's actually some ways that our ideals are problematic at times, and we need the real. Um, I think that uh, as a as a white man myself, the the things that I've constructed in this world of thinking about what is good and true and right are extremely colored by my privilege and extremely colored by my perspective, extremely colored by the family I grew up in and the ideals that they painted for me, the faith tradition I. I grew up in that painted those ideals for me. And there's actually been a whole slew of things that I've had to let reality help uh, reshape what my ideal is, realizing that actually my endpoint uh, was missing something, um, that the idea that a, a good and, and wonderful life uh, has to do with leadership. And so to me, there's a sense of like, lead, in my tradition growing up, like everybody's a leader and that's the ultimate ideal is, are you a leader? Um, and then beginning to realize that some of the realities of life is that this pursuit of leadership, this pursuit of that, actually, um, I think really undermines some senses of humility and learning from other people. If I'm always the leader and I'm always trying to be the leader, when's the moments that I'm sitting back and letting other people lead me because they know more than me? And as a white man, I don't probably need to be told I should lead in more places. I probably need to be encouraged to do the opposite. And so for me, actually letting the reality of the world around me, hearing the perspectives and voices of other people, seeing the way that that our society plays out when we're when we are living out of a reality that was created by this ideal i can then shift that ideal and say hey actually maybe that isn't actually a reliable stone to tie my rope to to be climbing up this hill that that's actually going to be a path that i need to reconsider and maybe i should try uh shifting my ideals that's why i think that there's is a tension here where even sometimes we need to let reality reshape what we think is the perfected kind of picture of life. Absolutely. I think that's a really, really helpful clarification there. Um, that as we encounter more of the world, especially for those of us who hold a great deal of privilege and power, um, our perspective of what the ideal is should change. It's not even just that it, in, in the same way that as we encounter those who are outside of ourselves, um, our perspective of God should shift and change. And I think that sometimes it's easy to hold the ideal as some type of concrete, um, immovable thing, just like we can do that with God. Um, but understanding our own ability to shift and change and how these things are deeply related to one another. And that's really what we're getting at with these tensions is that it can be easy to try and separate out good and bad um, with each of these kind of push and pull factors, but really the reality needs the ideal and the ideal needs the present reality. Um, and for those who are joining with us today, I would love to hear in the chat if there are particular ways you have felt this tension either in your personal life or on a greater, bigger picture scale beyond yourself as well. Um, because I do think that we can only speak to a very unique perspective for both of us. So to get some more um, input on that would be really awesome. So I'm curious, Kyle, because um, I have found in scripture and in the life of Jesus that there's some helpful language and stories in navigating this tension. Um, so do you have any insight on how following Jesus allows us to navigate this tension better? 
You know, I think that actually uh, kind of really painted throughout scriptures is pictures of an ideal um, and then kind of a realization that our, our, our reality is not there. Um, in my, my tradition growing up, we refer to this as the, the kingdom theology of here and not yet. Um, and that a lot of that was grounded in Hebrews. It talks about uh, in Hebrews too, that God, uh, when, when God puts everything under his control, nothing is left out of his control. But at this time, at this present time, we don't see all things under his control. There's like this real sense of like uh, uh, what is true right now and what will ultimately be true being two different things. And I think part of the challenges I think we often find when we read scripture is we read ultimate ethics into uh, the moment and, and kind of take that as like, you know, I used to always get super frustrated um, that I felt like the philosophy of most churches were we are going to preach ultimate ethic every Sunday and we're going to say this is what uh, are the correct things that we should think and believe and do um, without recognizing that that's not actually how people change, that we don't just get to go from A to B, that we're all navigating a ton of things uh, to get to B. Um, I think about um, uh, like even to me in counseling, like my we're talking a little bit next week, I think about uh, how some tips on how we can uh, find and do counseling. But one of the questions that always comes to counselors is like, what are you looking for in somebody that's living a, a healthy life? And the picture there is not that that is therefore what you need to be today. It's important that we see that big picture, but we got to work our way towards that. And I think we see that picture in the way that Jesus uh, talks to people that are suffering and hurting. I think we see that in the way that P Jesus is um, uh addressing the realities that there is a picture of what God longs for us and wants to be true of our lives. But then there's also a deep understanding that we are, are facing broken circumstances right now. And so uh, like, you know, I think about Jesus talking about the ultimate ethic is a, a place where there is no, su the, that it, there is no suffering where the blind will see, but yet we live in this world today where that is not true. And what Jesus does is go and he's, he's healing right now. Um, and I think that this is that tension that we see God living out of, of obviously there is a, a picture of a just world that God is painting for us that, that we want to see. But there is the reality that right now he's actually healing and meeting us in this moment here. You bringing in um, a passage from Hebrews. Growing up, my favorite passage from scripture was Hebrews 11.1. 1. And it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Um, actually, fun fact, that was written on a fortune cookie message when I was in like middle school. Um, and I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool phrase. I'm gonna look up who said it. It's like, oh, the Bible, that's where that was. Um, but this idea of being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, the danger here, I think, is that we can fall into the space of over-spiritualizing the present, um, that our current realities are dismissed and there's all this emphasis and focus on what is coming, um, on what, we may call the, the fullness of the kingdom of God, this tension of the now and not yet, that all of the emphasis falls on the not yet piece of things. But I don't think that that, actually I know that that is not what Jesus is doing here. There isn't the stress of over-spiritualizing things to the point where you disregard um, what is going on in the present. The broken realities are seen as, well, this is broken and I can't do anything about it. Um, on both an individual level and a, a greater community level as well. Um, it can be easy for 
spaces of faith, I think to say, well, just look to look to what is coming. Um, that the the kind of seriousness, the gravity of what is going on in the present gets over-spiritualized um, and dismissed. That is very, I think, contradictory to the character of Jesus who enters into those broken realities and is actually with us. Um, that there's this model here of the presence of Jesus within the broken reality um, that offers the sustaining hope for how we navigate that space. Yeah, I, th I, I like that a lot. I think so. Um, there's this, uh, we've talked about this in the past, it's a, something called the redemptive hermeneutic of like how you see evolution over the Bible and then post the Bible of how uh, there's a sense of like, there's this ultimate ethic of what God's working for, um, but that along the way it's living within the context of that moment um and so i used to have a professor that that uh summarized it in this way of like uh god moved and acted in moses's day in moses's way uh to address moses's problem god moved and acted in jesus's day in jesus's way to address jesus's problem god moved and acted in paul's day in paul's way to address paul's uh the problems uh, paul's problems and so this idea that ultimate ethics are are really important for us to see the character of God, particularly, I think, if we're reading the Bible, like what is the overarching character of who God is, the ultimate ethic of a God of justice, a God of love, and those things. But as, even as you read the Bible, you see the evolution of in context, in those situations, what that ultimate thing is looking for is different. And there's actually like a progression in, in, even within the Bible, there's a progression of what does that mean, an interpretation of that. And um, one of the more kind of well-known uh, kind of takings of, the, of redemptive earning is understanding an evolution even of understanding gender roles that like there is a there's a sense of liberation and freedom spoken to women even progressively throughout the bible particularly in their context and so in like paul spoke to women in his culture with more uh um, authority attributed to them, power attributed to them, respect and voice attributed to them than any than than what was but close to commonplace in society. And if we keep that trajectory along, the question for us is not, do we today in 21st century adhere to the specifics of what Paul said, but are we existing, are we being at least as empowering to women in our culture as he was to his? And I think that, that this picture of the Bible, I think is really helpful for us as we think about even the evolution of our own self-understanding of society, that I see a picture that is a God of love and justice. And in my own life, as I mature and understand more about what that is, there's going to be a, a different outworking for me of what does it mean to be pursuing love and to be pursuing justice and just and i think that that's where you need the real piece of this holds accountable to the, the because the challenge with this ultimate ethic thing is thinking that uh we haven't figured out and this is where i actually think there's a book called the redemptive uh hermeneutic that i around that that i actually think is flawed because it at times even talks about how those ultimate ethics are things that we have figured out and are static. And I think that's not true either. I think as reality progresses, we actually get to see a fuller picture of God, but we need to keep uh, understanding that as life is moving on, we're gonna have to uh, change and address how we ourselves step into those things. Yeah, the sense of, um, it's almost like an evolution of hope, like an evolving, um, understanding and picture of what justice and freedom can look like that as that grows and um, 
as we grow in our understanding of what that full picture may be, um, it's almost like pulling the curtain back a little bit more of like, oh, I didn't know that the, the ideal was that big. I didn't know that there were these different pieces of um, the picture that could still exist. And I think that instead of being, um, this might, this is a helpful thing for me, instead of leaning into that over spiritualizing and saying like, maybe it's not this overwhelming sense of I will never reach the full ideal. I will never be able to live into that, but letting that, that evolution guide you in like, what's the next step? Where's what's the next piece of direction that I can take? Um, how can I step into a constantly more loving and understanding and affirming and grace filled picture of what the kingdom of God is and how do I invite others into that space as well? Um, but Vince, I'm curious here if there is anything in the chat that you want to bring into conversation. Yeah, there was one really good example um, from uh, Alicia that I, I just think is, it hits me as as important because I feel it too. And it is a tension that I'm not sure we're gonna be able to give any answers to, but maybe that's why to bring it up because it's like so um, complicated. So she says, I feel this struggle that we're talking about here. Um, do I pursue the ideal or not? With being good to the environment, it's not always feasible to buy organic. It feels impossible to avoid single-use plastic. I live in a city that doesn't recycle glass, she says. I sometimes have to remind myself that I don't have to be a perfect environmentalist to avoid personal guilt for what's happening in the planet. That one, it just seems really important because it's like, if we if we all have the time to like slow down all of the demands and responsibilities of our busy lives and like step back and look, we probably would all agree that like, crap, climate change is the worst thing in the world. Like it should be priority number one, but it's not priority number one when I'm like, I need diapers, you know what I mean? And, and so it's really, really hard. That, that one just feels really true to me. And what do we do to walk in hope? But all, or, you know, like, and, you know, if I can't walk in hope, what do I do to not just be buried in despair? Is, is there some sort of middle ground I can find? I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on that one? I don't have solutions. I have uh, I have some tension to to offer you there. I think this I think in this piece is also maybe one of the unique invita invitations for people who see themselves as progressive, which is um, when we 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 believe that the ideal is this achievable thing where we can actually check all the boxes and actually how we are virtuous and good people is that we have checked all of the boxes. I recycle, I'm fighting against systemic racism, I'm fighting against misogyny, I'm fighting against um, income inequality, I'm fighting, there's like all of the boxes of, of what is, I think, just, and I, I think, that's the hard part is I do think all of those things super matter, but I think that the challenge that we have, particularly those of us that I think see the world with a bit of a progressive lens, and that's how, where we live, is this idea that we believe that that's somehow achievable. I, I wonder actually if we actually believe it, but we think that we should be able to check all those boxes. And at the end of the day, whereas you may say on a conservative side of a worldview, there's all this like, personal morality questions that you have to check off to feel like I'm a good person if I can check off all these personal morality questions. That was like very much me growing up. A lot like the first 50 of them were about sex. And then there was like three other ones that I check off that I don't do. Um, 
But I think on the more progressive side of things, the challenges, I think we see it as a social morality test. I am a good person because I check off all these boxes. And I think that that really gets in our way because that that's not reality. We can't do that. And so I think if we can step away from am I a good person, am I a bad person, and acknowledge that even from a progressive standpoint, that's still the battle that we're living in. And to say, I don't know, I'm not good or bad, I'm loved by God. And God wants me to live a rich and full life. And God wants me to exist in a society that is rich and full. And I'm going to get it wrong a ton. But And that's the reality piece. I'm going to get it wrong a ton. But the tension here is actually something that God lives in. I'm not out here floundering on my own to say, here's all these ideals, which is the right one. And then how disappointed I am, am I with myself about what choices I make of which one I let go. But we actually have a God that stands in that gap with us, that helps us in that process to say, here are the ideals. You're right, Kyle. I care about all of those things, but I love you. And this is what I want you to do right now. And you're going to fail. You're going to mess up, but that doesn't mean you're bad. You are still loved and I care for you. So let's, let's detach our sense of worth from those social moral values and attach it to a God who's trying to lead us into a place that is full of life and goodness for ourselves and the society we live in. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, this idea of needing to balance the, the tension here um, isn't saying that we find all of our worth in the ideal of who we want to be or all of our worth in where we are right now, um, that it is this constant living into um, this life of meaning that involves holding these intention and finding really good and beautiful things in both spaces and things that are really broken I think for me, um, I don't know if anyone else falls into this, but it's super easy to me, for me to be in a mindset of all or nothing thinking. Um, and that can be really limiting because I do think this desire to, um, it sounds kind of diminishing to say like that you're checking boxes, but that there is a good desire there to just be a good person who is doing good things. Um, and it sets us up for the reality of we are not going to achieve that. Um, so it's super easy for me to say, I, man, I forgot my glass straw when I went to this coffee shop and I have a plastic bag filled with plastic bags underneath my kitchen sink. Um, I don't know why that's constantly been a thing in my life, but, um, it can feel like, well, I'm doing nothing like I, scrap it all. I'm doing nothing. Um, and this exists in a lot of spaces. I think, um, and there's a difference here for things, from things being performative to things just being the reality of like, we are not going to get it right 100% of the time. And there are small doses of goodness and rightness, whatever that might be of like being able to embrace this ideal, that, that that's the important piece. Um, that it's not that we would all be perfect in one area or in all areas all of the time. That sounds thoroughly exhausting to me and the opposite isn't true. We don't scrap at all because we haven't been perfect. Um, it's this middle ground of grace that I think allows us to operate in the current reality while still holding a perspective of what the ideal might be. And this tension needs to exist with, uh, like within ourselves because we are all 
dealing with such different realities. We are not all in the same place with our mental health. We are not all in the same place with our privilege and uh, free time and awareness, like the, the idea of being able to do many of these things. We are not all in the same place in terms of the responsibilities we carry. Um, and so that I think this is, I think if, if we can take these tensions and not try to say like, well, the ideal is bad or the real is bad, but like there's really something very good about holding on to an ideal. Like uh, my counselor says, you can't, you can't change without hope. There has to be something you feel like you're working towards um, or else you, it's just a, you, the human condition struggles to move forward. But at the same time, the real is incredibly good. It is good to acknowledge where our bandwidth is. It is good for us to acknowledge the weights that we are carrying personally and then systemically, because that informs what we are actually able to pull off. And I think this is this is the balance of, of a church like us. It is not to sit out here and say, here's your ideals. Now, let me tell you how you need to step forward. Our task here is to help people here turn to God and figure out what are the things that God is highlighting? Because the truth is, I think there's probably a million ultimate ethics that are ultimately true and good that I probably am just never going to hit my, my awareness in my lifetime. And that's just, there's just so many things that I'm just not aware of. But there are things that I can ask God to draw my attention to. And I, there are ways that God can speak specifically to my position of privilege, my position of, of who I am and where I'm at, and call me to step forward in that. And so I think as a community, what we need to do with each other, and this is, you know, the traditional church community, I think is, you know, you're judging each other and you're telling each other, that's, I don't think that that's our risk. Our risk in this community, I don't think is that we're judging other people and telling each other what we need to do. But I think that what our invitation into this community is to come alongside each other and encourage each one of us to get really honest and really aware of what is true about our current situation and our current challenges, and then encourage each other to, to figure out, like in, in, the, in the majestic words of Anna from Frozen 2, like what is the next right thing? And I think that that is, I think that that is what we can do as a community is walk with each other there and encouraging each other to like Jesus. I mean, Jesus is a model. Sit with people when they're hurting and suffering. Sit with each other when things are hard. You're not sitting there and saying, stop having things be hard with you. We're sitting there. We're crying with each other. We're praying for healing. And then in the moments where people are ready to step forward, offering wisdom and guidance and support to say, let's do this together. And you're not going to do this alone. Yeah, um, this brings up a, a term for me that I picked up in therapy called radical acceptance. Um, and something that's really helpful here in radically accepting the way that things are is understanding that things can exist with um, an and instead of a but. So it's replacing your buts with ands. Um, so instead of saying, I, I am... Uh, I'm falling short here, but I'm trying, um, or the world is really messed up right now, but maybe there's hope. Um, being able to hold that intention with the simple shift of saying, instead of saying, but saying, and, um, I am trying and I am, um, loved by God in the process. The world is really messed up. And at the same time, we can feel hope. Uh, that we can hold things that feel very opposite at the same time 
And that allows us to radically accept um, this kind of tension between what we are encountering in our realities day to day, what we see beyond ourselves happening in the day to day and what we hope for. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder what ends people have out there. I mean, going back to my original story, I'm like, I want my kids to be able to learn how to do creative play and not have too much screen time. And I wanna, if ever anybody's ever seen the Australian show Bluey, I wanna have the level of imaginative play with my kids that the dad does in that cartoon. And I'm living through a pandemic and I'm exhausted and working. Those are both true. And try, I don't know, the tension there is what I need help navigating. Um, and I'm curious, what are the other ants? I mean, I think about work, like, I, I want to be able to pour all my all into work and do creative and interesting things. And I want to be able to uh, be a good manager and I want to be a good coworker. And I get frustrated when people don't do things the way that, um, that are, are, are able to move things forward. Um, I want to be able to uh, pursue creativity in my life and have more time to myself. And I need to pay rent. And so I have to work. I think there's just, I think that these are the ands that we, we live life with. I, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if we all got in practice of doing that, Haley, how freeing it would be um, just to say that those are the tensions we live in. Yeah, there's, um, Nadia Boltz-Weber has a um, kind of blog and email list called The Corners that I have subscribed to because I really love her words and um, a message that she sent out earlier this week was talking about learning a lesson that she had tried to learn at the beginning of the pandemic and is trying to learn again about how the clash of reality and ideal can feel so overwhelming that it could be really easy to just want to let, let go of both in some ways. Um, so this is a quote that I pulled from her because I think it's really helpful. I'm just once again aware of how much my mental health depends on accepting reality, not endorsing it, but accepting it. So yes, we can grieve. This is her words. We can grieve this shit show. We can grieve our dead. We can lament and fight and struggle. We can register our complaints and let it all be based in a relationship with actual reality because actual reality is also the only place where actual joy is to be found. If joy is delayed until a preferred future comes about, we set ourselves up for despair. If there is hope in this day, joy in this reality, this life, this body, this heart, then we certainly can prevail. We can, we will, and we are. And that was a, a big comfort for me today. I think it's my last thing I'll say, and um, then we can, we'll pray, but um, pretty powerful experience of faith for me um, when I was returning to an experience of faith after leaving it for a while was the, 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 the reality of how much of my life um, I had put into the future, how much joy I had put as a conditional future, which is I'll feel happy and fulfilled when I lose weight. I'll feel happy and fulfilled when I get the job I want. I'll feel happy and fulfilled when I find the spouse that I want. I'll feel happy and fulfilled when I can buy a house. I'll feel happy and fulfilled. And it was this long list for me of uh, the life that I longed to live was a perpetual future. 
And those were all my ideals. And having a pastor at that point talk about like, God has love, has life for you right now before you have lost weight. God has life for you right now before you have found the job that you want. God has life for you right now before you buy a house. And I think that that doesn't mean that God doesn't also live in our longings. God rejoices in my desire to find meaningful work. God rejoices in my desire to be able to, to be a homeowner. Like those are, those are things that God lives in. God wants me to be physically healthier so that I have more energy. So God, in my desire to lose weight. However, that doesn't mean right now joy is, is not on the table, that, that there is joy and life and love. And part of this experience of a living God is helping us along the way and realizing that if we are feeling that right now, it actually probably will not probably we know through human behavior that will produce more change than if we are just keeping in a place of deprivation right now because we hope that a future change will will make us happy. And we also know that we overestimate how much achieving those things actually make us happy. That we know that when we say, when I get that job, I'll be happy. And then all of a sudden we get the job and, and we're still not as happy as we think. And I think that that's this moment of living in this real and finding the joy, the healing and the grieving we need right now. Amen to that. Um, oh. this idea of joy, joy is on the table now. Um, that's a, a comforting one for me, but mm. Kyle, would you pray for us as we close? Absolutely. Well, Jesus, I am so grateful that, um, you invite me into a bigger world and a bigger life. I'm so thankful that you have uh, a desire for this world to be more just, more good, more full of love, and I pray that you would help me see those big picture ethics that uh, help me see the things that I do want to anchor myself on. I do want to anchor myself on being a loving and caring father. I do want to anchor myself on being uh, a participant of bringing justice into this world. I do want to anchor those things, Lord. And I'm thankful for the ways that that invites me into fuller and deeper life. And Lord, I am also thankful for the way that you exist in the real. I'm thankful for the ways that you have grace and healing for us right now as we're navigating specific challenges to this moment. And I am grateful that you don't have good things for me in a future state, but you actually have good things for me now. And I pray for help to hold this tension that there is cynicism on both sides of this. And I ask that you would help me stand in the middle, not being overwhelmed by an ideal that's so far away and feels unachievable, and also not be so overwhelmed by the real circumstances and challenges around myself that feel insurmountable. Pray that you would be with us and as we as a community can be with each other. Amen.